Welcome to the Rainbow Asylum Podcast. This is an audio-based resource for anyone interested in learning more about the challenges faced by LGBTQ asylum seekers in America. Our goal is to raise awareness on the issue to inspire action and change. After listening to this episode, please take our post-test survey. It's very important that these get completed. Go to the show notes of this episode or in the podcast description to get a link to the survey. This episode will focus on advocacy efforts and proposed solutions. We will be wrapping up our podcast today with an emphasis on the incredible things that are already being done to support the LGBTQ asylum-seeking community and some ideas that we have on how we can care for this special group of people in big and small ways. And just to note, since we know that our last year episodes have been filled with heavy information, we are hoping that this one will be a bit more optimistic in focusing on solutions and what we can do as people who care about this population's well-being. I'll be starting off this episode by talking a little bit about the legal help that is out there for LGBTQ plus asylum seekers. We talked about in the last episode, it's a very complex legal system, and it can sometimes feel hopeless unless they have someone to guide them through it. So legal organizations and advocates work to support queer asylum seekers in this process. An example of this, the LGBT Asylum Project, which we learned more about during the interview. Additionally, the organization HICE, which is a global Jewish nonprofit that protects LGBTQ refugees and asylum seekers in addition to every refugee, they connect asylees with a network of legal aid. There's many websites, organizations, networks that intend to connect asylum seekers with legal aid are available based on regions. And because many asylum seekers do not have the resources to pay for a lawyer, they tend to be pro bono or funded through other means. Other resources that LGBTQ plus asylum seekers may need um, can be provided through organization as well. HICE also has what's called the Asylee Outreach Project. It's part of the organization to help with information and resources for asylees. They also have resettlement programs that assist with learning English, accessing employment, and supporting asylees once they've settled in their new community. It is important to recognize asylum seekers are not eligible for government assistance or some of the resettlement programs until they are officially granted asylum. Thus, the assistance through many of these nonprofits is especially important. So basically, these organizations like Heisen, they help connect them to resources and lawyers that can help them along with their asylum case and help them with learning English as a second language and housing and jobs possibly as well. Mm -hmm. Those are oftentimes included. And it's, it's really difficult, I think, to navigate even this assistance system because so many are regionally based. You can't really help someone easily with housing or with jobs when you're across the country. So a lot of times the bigger organizations will connect people to local organizations as well. Right, in their area so they can access and you know things like clothes and hygiene supplies and food because mm-hmm. they can't get any government assistance at this time and some of them just come with just the clothes on their back, right? Exactly, so, yeah. exactly. So an example of that would be here in the greater Lansing area is the Refugee Development Center, which they've talked about this in our class. It's a local organization who serves immigrants, refugees, or asylees, and they do this a lot of times through 
education and support programs. So they have a program to help people learn English as their second language, but they also have programs that help them learn how to drive, all types of different things. And this is a local organization. And there's many like this throughout America that it's important that people get connected with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's really important that we support these organizations too because they're nonprofits. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the time they're not going to have a lot of funding. It's a lot of work. Yeah, I, I always worry about where they get their funding from. You know, it, I hate to like sound depressed, but it's just like sometimes it feels like the, the organizations that want to do the most good, they just don't have the funding. So they have to write all these grants and mm-hmm. they have to prove worthy of this funding when they really want to do amazing things and it should be like oh yes of course yeah i don't want Wouldn't to it sound be nice sad if there was unlimited money for the organizations yes. that needed it yes <laughs> yeah just you know and maybe like maybe some government support saying yeah i understand you know what you you know want to help these people that need it that need to get on their feet and so that they can thrive and be successful in america yeah mm-hmm. other ways that um Organizations are helping LGBTQ plus asylum seekers and asylum seekers in general is through awareness. For example, a lot of queer asylees and refugees are starting to speak out more about their experiences. An example of this is Adafe Akporo. He was a gay asylum seeker from Nigeria in 2016, and he shared about his experiences in his book, Asylum, a memoir and a manifesto, and even in his TED Talk, Home is Joy. He also found an organization called Refuge America, which creates content to uplift stories about LGBTQ asylees, refugees, and migrants. Um, this information's in the resources of the show notes for this episode, so if you guys want to learn more about it, you can check it out there. There's also other online advocacy campaigns. For example, hashtag Welcome with Dignity campaign is on social medias right now, and they're working to transform the U.S. refugee and asylum system. That's a website, but also through social media. It's a great place even for us and for listeners to start if you want more awareness, learning resources, or even actionable efforts for change. So right now, if I when I was looking on the hashtag on Instagram in March 2023, um, I saw lots of posts related to speaking out against Biden's proposed policy change for asylum, which would make it much more difficult for asylum seekers. The post talked about ways to take action against it and spread awareness. So they're basically trying to like educate the community, you know, kind of like and, and like you said, those speakers um, that are members of the LGBTQ immigrant community are now opening up and speaking out and telling about their story and what they went through and, you know, their mind frame. And and then these and then this organization, this campaign is also trying to educate people about basically trying to like reeducate people and try to, you know, educate them to advocate to fight Biden's new policies. And mm-hmm. yeah. And the goal of the Welcome with Dignity campaign really is it's not just about asylum or refugees or immigration. It's about all of it. As, as Americans, we should be welcoming people into America, and we should be doing it in a way that makes them be able to bring their full humanity and to never think less of them and to uplift them instead. And that's kind of the goal of that campaign. And I know there's many out there, too, that are working for the same goals. What what makes me so mad is that, you know, I come descended from illegal immigrants. They were the British that came over in 1607 that just kind of just barged in, started cutting down trees and taking over their land and killing Indians. And, 
you know, that was all fine. That's legal. That's fine. You know what I mean? And then and then it's like, oh, somebody comes in here to try to get a job and they're running from persecution. Oh, you are a, a felon. You're breaking the rules. When we wiped out, I mean, my ancestors did 80 to 90 percent of the people that were already living here. It's, it's just so frustrating. It, it doesn't make any sense. I'm sorry to vent. And it shows the paradigm in America over the last 400 years has changed significantly from welcoming people from other places and and people who are immigrants to trying to keep people out. And it's a whole paradigm shift that America had really over the last hundred years to keeping out people who are foreign and othering them. When really what we should be doing is welcoming people and recognizing that the diversity that they bring and the skills and even just the humanity that they bring adds value to us as a nation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially when we've been so horrible to people in the past, you would think that we should be trying to clean up our act and, you know, maybe being a bit more welcoming and treating people like humans. So some other areas that organizations are working for change is especially through policy. Um, Some examples include the Immigrant Justice Center. They are advocates related to immigration, refugee and asylum seekers, and they work for policy reform, impact litigation and public education. Or the Center for Gender and Refugee Studies. They also provide consultation, litigation resources, and training to attorneys and organizations to effectively represent asylum seekers. So it kind of is a top down. So they provide the resources for the attorneys to then help the asylum seekers. Immigration Equality is an organization advocating for changes through legislation, administrative and presidential action, and even through impact litigation. I did want to share a little bit about Immigration Equality's past impact litigation because I think it shows a great way that we can see change even if it's not through the legislative process. Immigration Equality has talked about how through their impact litigation, they seek to change discriminatory policies affecting LGBTQ and HIV positive people. In their cases, they may only represent a small group of people, but their aim is to get rulings that are far reaching and improves the lives of our community on a large scale. So this is through the court systems. I'm going to share an example that they have from 2020 that was related to death to asylum rule impact litigation. So during the summer of 2020, the Trump administration issued proposed federal regulations designed to end the asylum system in the United States. If those had gone into effect, the regulations would have resulted in the denial of most or all LGBTQ claims across the nation. Immigration Equality and 80,000 other entities and individuals submitted public comments demanding sweeping changes to the rules. Only after four months, the administration claimed to have reviewed all the comments and made almost no changes. They announced the rule would go into effect in 30 days. In response, Immigration Equality and Lambda Legal sued the Trump administration on behalf of the plaintiffs. They argued the case in early January 2021, and they were able to secure a nationwide temporary restraining order against the regulations in their entirety. That ruling halts the most sweeping illegal anti-refugee volley of the Trump administration. And that was spoken from Bridget Crawford, who is the legal director of Immigration Equality. I wanted to share this to show that while it may seem very dire in the situation that we're in now, 
there are things being done. And this is a great example of how an even worse policy was shut down through the actions of a collection of organizations and people working together. Yeah, and it's a success story, you know, and that shows us that, like, I think you can make a change, you know, like, it takes maybe a lot of people, but people coming together, and they were able to halt this huge thing that I didn't even know about, I didn't hear about, (laughs) but that's why, because they were able to halt it. I think that it's really great that this policy was halted, but I think it shows us how at this point in time, the work that we have to do is in some ways harder because it's not let's change a policy. It's less let's change the minds and hearts of, in some ways, individual ICE agents and Mm -hmm. asylum judges to be more welcoming, which I think is why the education and awareness that you spoke of earlier is really important. The more stories that we can get out there and the more people who can explain what's happening on the ground and why they need this help so desperately, the easier it will be for us to change people's hearts and minds and mm-hmm. help people show some empathy towards their fellow human beings. I love that. When when you kind of submit campaigning information and like advocacy information, sometimes the people that think like you are going to go look at it. And the people that don't usually just look and look away and walk away. If it's like pro-immigrant and they're anti-immigrant, they just turn around and walk away. And I feel like it should be like a training in the ICE hiring process. And that's that's why I'm kind of for vetting with ICE agents, you know, but I just mean to retrain the ICE agents. I hope that they would change after being educated in this way. But I think that definitely the people... The ones that really bring on this toxicness to cause these problems and these lawmakers and the judges and then the ICE, the Border Patrol that are that have all this anti-immigrant sentiment. They're the ones that need to be learning about this and learning all these advocacy efforts and like listening to these podcasts and researching and reading. It's hard for them to want to do it. So then they should be at their jobs. They should have these kind of trainings. And then who knows if they actually come out agreeing it's hard to get people to change their minds but i still think that this education is like really necessary and I, i'm definitely saying just keep spreading it of like everywhere you know because there are people that tend to listen they, there are people that you know where i think one thing growing up and then i might be like yeah you're right it, it is this way and I'll, I'll end up going over you know as i grow older it's the people that have those negative anti-immigrant sentiments that should be listening to this and and listening to all these campaigns Yeah, I just wanted to make a very small plug really quickly for just that acknowledging that burnout is a thing. Perhaps like, you know, I never want to believe in like this duality with people like all ICE agents. People are bad because I don't really think that's a thing. True. I think burnout is definitely a thing and we have to educate people about burnout and like being able to say like, you know, hey, maybe you entered this field like having these morals and maybe you had to like cognitively distance yourself from those morals because of what you're doing then the trainings are important too but also addressing the burnout um, because that's not talked about either enough i want to transition now into talking a little bit more about what we and you can do to help lgbtq plus asylees we're running this show as grad students at michigan state university and we're always prompted to ask the question of what can be done 
more to help and support marginalized communities. So today we're putting on our social work thinking caps together. (laughs) (laughs) So firstly, listening to this podcast, a great way to start because learning more about the issue and to help spread awareness and learning about additional resources listed even in the description of each podcast episode is a great place to start. And then if you want to continue further, advocating for or against legislation and policy changes is a great way to try and make an impact. So an example of this, contacting your representatives, especially when there is irrelevant legislation related to asylum. So this could be your representatives within Congress or it can be your local representatives. Another option is adding public comment to the federal registrar. That is something I actually found through the hashtag Welcome with Dignity campaign. Because right now, in March 2023, with Biden's new proposals of restrictions, public comments on the federal registrar is a current campaign to combat this that anyone can participate in. Um, And they even had on the post that I found a template that you can use and you you change it to make it more in your own words, but then that you can add to make it super easy. Even if it's a little thing, at least that you're doing something. And this may have a different status when this podcast is published, but there's always ways like this to get involved. And we'll talk about that more. Also, it's important to vote for representatives locally and federally who support asylum seekers and refugees and immigrants. Um, That is a stance that especially these days a lot of representatives will take and it'll even be public on their websites. Pay attention to that. Additionally, presidents can be important related to this as they set forth executive orders to guide Homeland Security and ICE on their treatment of asylum seekers. And the president sets the limit for how many asylum seekers and refugees are allowed to be accepted into the United States each year. Um, So like right now, we're seeing the good and the bad with this related to President Biden. Related to the legislature, they create the legislation that can help or harm asylum seekers as well. So an example of this right now in the House of Representatives, there is a bill that's being considered called the Secure America Act. And this is one that has potential to harm LGBTQ plus asylum seekers. So they're trying to reform the process for admission of refugees with more restrictions. So An example of this is that Congress would be more involved. So they would set the refugee stealing instead of the president. It would also make it so the FBI was more involved in the refugee and asylum process. It would add an additional assimilation likelihood screening. This screening includes any belief that the Secretary of State, in coordination with the Secretary of Homeland Security, would determine to be, quote, incompatible with the principles of the United States which leaves a lot of room for bias. (laughs) And it also would remove any parole options. This one really gets me. It would make it so states have the right to refuse to allow a refugee or asylum seeker to settle in their state. So this one right now is in the House of Representatives, and we have to really hope that this is one that doesn't pass and that we can contact our representatives about. An example, though, of a positive bill that could have a positive impact is in the Senate right now is the Access to Counsel Act. Um, This one would provide rights to have legal counsel during the inspection at ports of entry and during deferred inspections that we talked about that process in the last episode. So it essentially adds an additional protection and right for asylum seekers to receive 
due process. So that's an example of one that's being considered now that would be helpful. Yeah, I mean, that's just with the Secure America Act. I agree that I don't get the state's right to refuse a refugee settling. That's not a right. So that's just like incorrect language. And it's always been kind of crazy to me to think that immigrants don't have access to counsel. That's something that we have enshrined in our justice system for people who are criminals. It seems to me that we should provide the same right Mm -hmm. to people who have not done anything wrong, but who are going through a very confusing Mm -hmm. legal system, especially because in the public's imagination, even if it's not the case legally, these people often are seen as criminals. Mm -hmm. If we're going to treat them like criminals, then we should treat them like criminals all the way and give them access to legal counsel. And that shows especially why it's so important for these organizations that are offering the counsel to them because it's, it isn't a right. They are not provided it unless they can secure it for themselves. So it shows how essential it is that since nonprofits are essentially having to fill the gap that the government is refusing to provide the right for. So another area that you and I could partake in to try and help asylum seekers and refugees is private sponsorship. I do want to note that there are no sponsorship programs now for asylum seekers. The current option through the Biden administration is called Welcome Corps, and this actually launched recently on January 19th, 2023. Um, This is for refugees, not asylum seekers, so they have to be approved before coming to America and using this program. Through Welcome Corps, Americans work in groups of at least five to welcome refugee newcomers by securing and preparing initial housing, greeting refugee newcomers at the airport, enrolling children in school, and helping adults find employment. Currently, you cannot pick someone to sponsor, but they are hoping to be able to add this into later phases of the program. Requirements for it are being an American citizen or a lawful permanent resident, and you have to form a private sponsor group with at least five members over 18 who live nearby to one another. You must have the ability to welcome and support with basic needs and housing a refugee for at least 90 days, and you must raise at least $2,375 minimum per refugee to provide for their needs. As much as I think this is a great program and a great way for people to be involved, I think it's a little bit dangerous to essentially privatize something that the government has said that they are going to do for people who are refugees. I think it sets a bit of a dangerous precedent of taking something that the the government has said they're going to do and saying, hey, look, private citizens, you get to do this now. I agree. It is problematic in many ways. But I think the goal of why they created this is that there isn't something like that by the government. So at least there's more options. So it is problematic. But in the end, it's better than nothing. Yeah. (laughs) And I think that's how a lot of things are related to this. It's not great. Yeah, but it's better better than than nothing. nothing. Right. Yeah. (laughs) 
Exactly. But I think that's a great point. Thank you, Chelsea. Another great way, and we've kind of touched on this a little bit, that you can help is through donating to organizations that are making an impact. Talked about before that many of the organizations have very limited funding and they're very dependent on grants and if not donations. So any of the organiza- organizations that we've mentioned here and discussed during this episode can be a great place to start because the organizations need funds to pay for employees and lawyers, provide direct assistance, fund research, and even to publish things that help asylum seekers directly. Especially even look for local involvement with organizations who support immigrants, refugees, and asylum seekers. Many resettlement programs are also looking for volunteers. And search to find your local organizations to support asylum seekers, refugees, or immigrants and learn how you can get involved. So Grace is now going to tell us a little bit more about specific policy change recommendations and also then go into some recommendations for people who are helping professionals and how they can support this work as well. Thanks for that introduction, Joy. Okay, so now I would like to talk about policy changes that are recommended by leading organizations that um, we should push for for our government to do. Immigration equality specifically pushes for the repeal of the filing deadline for asylum. So currently, the rule is that asylee seekers must file for asylum within one year of entering the U.S., This deadline does not actually have a purpose, and it leads to denials of otherwise eligible asylum seekers, so this should not be a thing. The government should also fund the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, other known as USCIS Asylum and Humanitarian Programs. These are funded by fees that asylees pay. But those are not sufficient to fund these resources, as they are needed to process applications for humanitarian relief in a timely manner, and it puts a financial burden on those seeking relief, which is is not equitable. Also, the government should stop weaponizing public health against asylum seekers. Um, The National Immigrant Justice Center put this out. This relates to ending Title 42, which effectively allows border control to remove anyone who crosses the border without proper authorization. But it also effectively labels all asylum seekers as dangerous to um, national security on public health grounds. There's also a Supreme Court case right now that relates to ending this policy, so it is in process. But there's actually a case related to ending it, and there is a case related to continuing it. So it's still very up in the air if it will officially be ended or not. Thanks for that clarification, Joy. The government should also not force asylum seekers to seek asylum in other countries before entering America. Um, Many other nations are not equipped to protect career asylum seekers. The migrant protection protocol was essentially ended by Biden. However, new policies currently in progress would force asylum seekers to apply for asylum in the countries they travel through first before entering America. The times for processing work permits and asylum interviews should also be sped up. 
Um, And the Asylum Seeker Advocacy Project is pushing for this um, policy initiative currently. Um, These tasks make it difficult for asylees to provide for themselves and their families. Specifically concerning the LGBTQ plus asylee population, this isn't pushed by any organization, but we think that the Immigration and Nationality Act 101 statute, which is included in the kind of the requirements for pleading for asylum, the phrase social group could be more defined in the legislature. If LGBTQ identities were explicitly included within the definition of a particular social group, it would help provide legitimacy to career asylum claims and which would ease some of these difficulties that we've seen LGBTQ asylees have to go through. I just want to add this is only a short list of many, many changes that could be done. Um, We wanted to still be able to keep it kind of brief, but these are some great starting points, but we still have much further to go. I think the repealing the filing deadline for asylum is a particularly important policy change to point out because it's one that doesn't cost any money and so might in some ways be easier to get through because we do have a limited financial budget and financial resources. I think that's a great point. Okay, so moving on, our last section. I'm really excited about this section. So I'm going to be discussing specific recommendations for helping professionals. And I'm going to be using some fancy social work words um, and concepts, but I'll be explaining them. So don't worry. So some recommendations for like, because I mean, some of these policy recommendations, I mean, I, I think we should obviously support them and do these things, but that can feel like really big. So I wanted to provide a list of recommendations for um, anyone who's working with this community specifically or just interacting with this community one-on-one or just for a good person, good human to have in their toolkit. In general, we think that we should lead with trauma-informed care. We should cultivate allyship rather than assist in the cycle of violence that forced storytelling cultivates in the LGBTQ plus asylee when they are not ready to speak aloud their story. Trauma-informed care is focused on the principles of safety, trustworthiness, and transparency, peer support, collaboration, and mutuality, empowerment, and cultural awareness. Leading with trauma-informed care, I think, does look like kind of allowing the LGBTQ asylee to really take this process at their own pace, which our current ways of doing things in the United States, it doesn't take into account. We should also lead with empathetic listening, which is a social work practice of when you engage with something heavy or like with a conversation that can be really heavy, listening in a way that supplies empathy and kind of tells the person that you're listening to that First of all, you believe their story and that even though they've gone through really hard things, they're also very resilient and they have many strengths to offer. Um, we should also in general, generally believe lived experience and resist the dehumanization of the migrant. This is a really common portrayal that we see in the media and it's not grounded in reality and it's not a kind thing to do. So we should lead with um, two perspectives. So empowerment theory is the belief that the clientele can meet their own needs with empowering intervention. 
and strength-based perspective, which focuses on the strengths and assets of the clientele. So these two perspectives are kind of social work theories, but that we should keep in mind, um, especially in interacting with this population, as they have been told that they don't matter, essentially, through the asylum process, um, when in reality they have their own lived experience that has guided them thus far, and they are able to be there for themselves and have strengths and assets in their own stories. Also, this is not a social work thing, but this is a concept that I found through a novel Um, by Valerie Carr, who is a Sikh activist, which is a religious community of people. And her novel is titled See No Stranger, A Memoir and Manifesto of Revolutionary Love. I love the idea of revolutionary love. Basically, I like it because despite the dehumanizing nature of the asylum process, we must remember that there is resilience in the migrant story, and that is a source of strength and beauty. So I wanted to kind of drop like two quotes that I think, I don't know, I think really express the concept um, and embody it. So she writes that love is more than a rush of feeling. Love is sweet labor. It is fierce. It is bloody. It is imperfect. It is demanding. It is life-giving, and it is a choice that we make over and over and over again. And that revolutionary love is the choice to enter into labor for others, for our opponents, and for ourselves in order to transform the world around us. It is not a formal code or a prescription, but an orientation to life that is personal and political, rooted in joy. Loving only ourselves is escapism. Loving only our opponents is self-loathing. Loving only others is ineffective. All three practices together make love revolutionary. And revolutionary love can only be practiced in community. So truly, yeah, I really like the practice of revolutionary love because it's it's very um, it's very radical, <laughs> but it, it kind of looks at like loving all humans and really approaching people as human beings, which is not something that is commonly practiced in this field, not in the social work field, but in the field of greeting and working with immigration in that realm. Also, a few more recommendations. So we should also be continuously educating ourselves on different forms of sexuality and gender expression. As we kind of discussed in our previous episode, the U.S. asylum system relies on right heteronormative racist conceptualizations of queer identity, which are greatly flawed. So we should always be trying to learn more about how different cultures and societies see and live out queer expressions. We should also support diversity and trauma-informed care cross-cultural trainings for immigration judges, another aspect that Trisha highlighted in our past episode. Um, I also wanted to push um, just a note about the novel by Valerie Carr for her Revolutionary Love Project, which practices the declaration, teaching, and embodiment of love as a practice of political and social resistance. And a statement that they have on their website that I think is really important to take note of in this context is the declaration of, we declare our love for all who are in harm's way. 
refugees, immigrants, Muslims, Sikhs, Jews, queer and trans people, Black people, indigenous people, Asian Americans, Latinx people, the disabled women and girls, working class people, and poor people. We vow to see one another as brothers, sisters, and siblings. Our humanity binds us together, and we vow to fight for a world where all of us can flourish. Overall, I think all these recommendations at at the core is about recognizing that I am human, you are human, and every single person, and especially the LGBTQ asylees, are human, and they deserve to have the same just treatment and to be loved, just like any one of us. I especially love the Revolutionary Love Project's premise because if we are entering it in a place of love, there's no space for negative treatment. There's no space for judgment. There's no space for dehumanizing. Thanks for that, Joy. I think it follows all of social work's values. It's funny because we're all social workers and it's like I've never heard revolutionary love. Yeah, yeah, it's, you know? a, it's a really cool book, and I'll leave um, some notes to that in the show notes for you. Yeah, definitely. Well, we hope that these recommendations and insights into what is being done is helpful for you as a listener. This is a bittersweet goodbye for all of us, but as always, and especially today, we wanted to remind you all that you have power. You have power in the words you say and the actions you take. And yes, we're your local MSU social workers that believe that just one person can be a light in this messy world. So keep learning, keep advocating for change and loving our rainbow refugees. Um, This podcast is hosted by the social work students Joy Jennings, Grace Kennedy, Chelsea Middlemiss, and Trisha Washburn as an advocacy project through Michigan State University. Check out the show notes for more information and resources. For questions, please contact rainbowasylumpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Please take a time right now to take our post-test survey that is located in the show notes of this episode and in the description of the podcast. It is very important to us that you take this as it helps us with our grade, but also to have feedback for how you thought the podcast went and how it benefited you and how it could be better. Thank you.